welcome to Alps in Brief. This is Chris Newbold, Executive Vice President of Alps, and today I sit in downtown Seattle um, in the offices of the Washington State Bar Association with Doug Ende, who's the Chief Disciplinary Counsel of the Washington State Bar Association. And we're going to talk about an issue that is kind of growing in popularity, uh, dare I say a trend perhaps in the, in the legal world, which is um, which is bar associations and regulators thinking about their role and uh, with respect to protecting the public and whether they should require mandatory malpractice as a condition of licensure uh, to be an attorney. So Doug is, uh, is, is, has been working on this issue. And so, Doug, maybe you could start off by just introducing yourself and your role, how long you've been with the Washington State Bar, and, and what you generally do, both with respect to this issue and other responsibilities. Sure. Thanks, Chris. I am, as, as Chris mentioned, the Chief Disciplinary Counsel at the Washington State Bar Association. So my typical portfolio of work is as Director of the Office of Disciplinary Counsel, and that is the, uh, the, the component of the, the bar that receives grievances or complaints against lawyers alleging ethical misconduct, investigates those complaints, and prosecutes allegations of uh, violations of the rules of professional conduct. So, so that's my typical day-to-day -day work. Uh, I should say that in my capacity as, as staff uh, support or staff counsel to the, the mandatory malpractice insurance task force, that's not because it, there's a disciplinary dimension to mandatory malpractice insurance, and, and I, it's not the, the intent and it won't be the outcome that it's a, a disciplinary initiative, it's, it's a general regulatory initiative. Sure. And what do you think was the catalyst to get the discussion going in Washington? I mean, obviously there's uh, lots of different kind of things going on um, in, in terms of some other states looking at the, this particular subject, but what, as it relates to Washington, why do you think, why do you think now the discussion's happening here? I would say the, that there are a number of reasons or catalysts uh, that generated a, a discussion starting in 2016. One of those catalysts was the, the existence in Washington State of two other license types, limited practice officers and uh, limited license legal technicians, or triple LTs, both of which, by rule, are required uh, as a matter of licensure to, to carry malpractice insurance uh, or in otherwise, or otherwise, in some cases, to uh, establish proof of financial responsibility, and the um, the gap or the, the dissonance between one license type being required to have uh, insurance, uh, professional liability insurance, and another license type, the lawyer license type, not having that requirement, began to be questioned uh, simultaneously. There were uh, some members of uh, the Washington State Bar Association that began to inquire of the Board of Governors, uh, is, is this an issue that needs to be revisited uh, in the state of Washington? And as that, that exploration happened, the Board of Governors did authorize a, a work group to start to look into the issue in, the, in 2016, Idaho, um, seemingly out of nowhere, came on board as uh, requiring um, mandatory malpractice insurance becoming, as you know, the second state mm -hmm. in the United States to do so. So uh, I, I would say the, the, uh, the, those three factors coalesced mm -hmm. and, and became the, uh, 
the impetus for further investigation. Yeah, and Washington's obviously a what I would consider a a large state from a lawyer population size. Talk to us about just kind of the numbers of of lawyers that you have in Washington to the extent that you know how many are in private practice to the extent that you know you know to to what extent there might be a problem in terms of lawyers being uninsured in the Washington uh, legal market in terms of those you know providing um, services to, uh, to to clients. Um, what do the numbers tell you? So the membership of the bar in Washington is is relatively large mm-hmm. for a West Coast state, setting aside California, which is in another league. Uh, Washington, I think, has the, the largest population of lawyers uh, in the, the Western states. Uh, we have 40,000, approximately 40,000 members, approximately 32,000 actively licensed lawyers. I, unfortunately, I don't have at my fingertips the breakdown between private practitioners and uh, other practitioners, but there are a great many private yes. practitioners, uh, lawyers in, uh, in Washington State. Uh, and we do have the advantage in Washington State of having some information about private practitioners who are insured Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or not insured, because we do have an insurance disclosure mm. rule. The insurance disclosure rule, which is in our admission and practice rules, is based on the, the, the model ABA's model insurance disclosure rule. And essentially what it requires is, as part of annual licensing, lawyers inform the Bar Association whether they're in private practice, and if so, whether they are carrying uh, professional liability insurance, mm-hmm. malpractice insurance. We've had that rule and we've been collecting that data for about 10 years mm-hmm. now. So we have a, a, a reliable and fairly deep data source for that information. And at least in recent years, past three plus years, what that data shows is that of lawyers in private practice, about 85% are reporting that they carry insurance and 15% are reporting they do not. Okay. And what, is, what does your gut tell you about that fact? I mean, you, you obviously work for an organization that has a mission, of uh, a component of your mission that's protecting the public, right? And with 15% of your lawyers in private practice going uninsured, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, part of the Bar Association's mission is, is both to serve its members and, and to serve the public. And, and certainly a, a key component of the regulatory mission is to protect the public and make sure legal services are being delivered in the public interest. From a disciplinary perspective, we do from time to time see the tragic stories where lawyers have, uh, have made a mistake, uh, there's been a, an act of negligence if you will, the client has been harmed, maybe lost their ability to protect a, a legal right or lost a remedy of some sort. And in, in the absence of malpractice insurance or other means of, say, satisfying a judgment or making the client whole, most of those individuals have no legal remedy. And from a, a regulatory and public protection standpoint, that seems like a, a failure of the mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I think is very interesting about the issue is there are very clear and stark 
excellent arguments on both sides of the ledger on, on this particular issue. If you, if you look at Idaho, for instance, when they put this to a vote of their membership, 51-49, right? It was kind of right on the cusp. And obviously, the, the, it went in the favor of yes, and went to the Supreme Court, got passed. I wonder if you could just kind of briefly lay out for us kind of what you see as, what's the argument for, what's the argument against? Because I, I, I do think that the arguments are, are kind of rock solid on both sides, sure. and, and most people come at it with a kind of a definitive sense of, this is what I think. Right. There, there are uh, interesting and important arguments on both sides of the issue, and I should say preliminarily that when the, the Board of Governors, uh, the Washington State Bar Association Board of Governors authorized this and convened this task force, the, the, the issues on both sides were paramount in, in the minds of the board members, and they, they made it very clear in the charter of mm -hmm. the task force that job one, literally purpose number one, is to solicit and collect input from uh, Washington State Bar Association members about the issue of mandatory malpractice insurance. So, so that is an element of what the task force is doing. Uh, the, the arguments, on the one side, it, it is fundamentally a, a public protection argument that in, in the absence of, 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 of insurance, lawyers who are practicing and delivering legal services are putting clients, putting consumers, putting the public at risk uh, should a circumstance arise where someone is harmed and there isn't uh, a realistic remedy to address that harm. Uh, there, there's also perhaps, a, a, I'm sure you're familiar with, a, a risk management uh, component that it's in the best interest of the members to, to have that protection. Um, and, you know, we, we, we see that in other contexts. Not everyone necessarily likes or wants uh, automobile insurance, mm -hmm. and, and yet uh, as a, a polity, our, our government has decided that that needs to happen uh, for the protection of, of others and for the protection of ourselves. And I think some of the, the arguments here are, are, are similar. Yeah. Uh, Particularly as a self-regulating profession, right? I mean, if, if we're not regulating ourselves, you know, then we, I think, open ourselves up to other branches of government thinking that they need to regulate us. And yeah. so there is some kind of some notion of if we're not leading ourselves in this in this uh, protection movement, then you know we're probably leaving ourselves vulnerable to others kind of infringing in that space. Uh, uh, absolutely, to the to the extent we are self-regulating, uh, and of course we're all, we're ultimately judicially yep. regulated because the Supreme Court uh, has plenary authority to regulate the practice of law and delegate some of it to the to the bar association. Um, I, I think it's obligatory on a a somewhat self-regulated profession to, to not act only in its own interest, but also to, to yeah. act in the public interest. Now, on the other side of the equation, uh, there are uh, important arguments, uh, multiple arguments, and, and we've seen some of them already come through to the task force, that there's, there's a cost issue. Uh, it's, it's going to, to add a, a yet another cost of doing business to this regulated industry. And uh, I think it's fair to say that n no one likes the idea intrinsically of adding more cost to the cost of, of doing business. 
Um, related to that argument, there, there are those who argue because of the nature of their practice, the, the, the cost is prohibitive. Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, as you well know, not, not every practice area presents the same risk mm -hmm. and therefore insurers at, at the same cost. Mm -hmm. um, some arguments relate to where particular lawyers are in the continuum of practice. So, for example, lawyers at the, the tail end of practice thinking about winding things down or in the midst of winding things down, uh, I, I think are concerned that given the, the level or magnitude of the practice, which is, is perhaps diminished, the cost of obtaining malpractice insurance would outweigh the value of continuing to maintain an active license. So they suggest that uh, for retired or nearing retirement practitioners, this, this may drive them out of practice. Mm -hmm. For new lawyers just coming in to the profession, perhaps carrying a substantial debt load from, from law school and, and perhaps e even larger than just law school, uh, again, there, there's a cost concern. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, finally, and, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily naming every conceivable <laughs> objection to mandatory malpractice insurance, but some point to an issue of uninsurability. Um, I don't know the extent to that's true. You probably know more about uninsurability versus uninsurability than, than I, but I, I think some members are concerned that if there are truly uninsurable risks, that those individuals are going to be forced out of practice because they just can't obtain uh, obligatory insurance. Sure. Sure. So where are you at now in your, in your process? Obviously, a task force is being convened. Um, as you think about the next 12 to 18 months, where do you see that process going? And then ultimately, uh, what, what steps does the task force envision kind of taking in terms of recommendations and so forth? We are still in the fairly early stages of our process. The board launched the task force by adopting its charter in September of 2017. Uh, the task force was uh, convened and had its first meeting last month. Uh, we are in February of 2018. The task force is uh, about to uh, begin its second meeting, so we are really still at the headwaters, the information gathering stage. So the the, the board of governors, by by through its charter, uh, asked for a report and recommendation from the task force in January of 2019. So they gave the task force a, about a year to, to do the work, prepare or determine what its recommendation would be and re prepare its report back to the Board of Governors. So what we expect is that at some point the task force will, uh, will make a recommendation. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it evaluated more than one possible solution to the issue, malpractice versus other um, initiatives that, that mm -hmm. might serve a, the same or a similar public protection purpose, and uh, will gather, uh, gather, solicit and gather input from the WSBA membership when those recommendations start to solidify, and then based on Based on all of that information, we'll uh, report back to the board. Uh, we fully expect in, in January 2019. Okay. 
Well, good. Doug, any other kind of closing comments or remarks or kind of perspectives that you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, should any WSBA members find themselves interested in the issue or even others find themselves interested in the issue and, and care to, to share their perspective with the task force, with the Board of Governors, uh, uh, now would be a good time. Uh, there is a a website, or excuse me, a web page on the WSBA website devoted to the activities of the task force. So it's easily accessible and it's easy to provide feedback um, through electronic means. And we are very eager to, to hear from the membership, to hear from the public, to hear from others about these ideas. Great. Well, th thank you, Doug. I mean, this is an interesting subject, obviously one that we're kind of keeping a close eye on as, as the endorsed uh, malpractice carrier for the Washington State Bar Association and, and I think the carriers are obviously thinking about the affordability issue you know and whether even even some insurance at a good or a basic level is better than no insurance and I, I particularly your solo practitioner community is is, 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 a, is a community that we're particularly sensitive to and as we think I think as we think ahead to the future of the market sure. So, well, good. I uh, appreciate the time, Doug. And uh, if you have any other thoughts or questions about this subject, feel free to contact me, uh, Chris Newbold at Alps, C-N-E-W-B-O-L-D at alpsnet.com. And we thank you for listening. Thanks, Chris.